0: Welcome to People My Dog where I get to sleep with interesting people about their game changing ideas, fresh initiatives, and out of the box movements with them. Today my guest is Jan Owen, CEO of the Foundation for Young Australians. Jan is a pioneer of the youth sector in Australia and a highly regarded social entrepreneur, innovator, influencer and author who has spent the past 25 years growing Australia's youth, social enterprise and innovation sectors. She's at the forefront of creating successful careers for a number of young Australians who have gone on to have wildly successful careers themselves is the only non-U.S. citizen to receive a fellowship for Leadership and Innovation to the Peter Drucker Foundation in the USA and has been awarded membership of the Order of Australia for services to children and young people. In October 2012, Jan was named the Australian Financial Review and Westpac Group Woman of Influence 2012 and Social Enterprise Category winner. The inaugural 100 Women of Influence Awards recognise the important contribution female leaders leaders make to Australia's future. Jan serves on the boards of the School for Social Entrepreneurs, the Inspire Foundation, the Australian Centre for Social Innovation, RMIT College of Business Industry Advisory Board and the International Women's Development Agency. You're a busy woman, I figure I've probably left a few things out too, Jan, so I'm grateful you managed to squeeze out some time to be on the show today. Welcome. Thank you very much. I forgot the title of the show. Yeah, People My Dog Would Like. Which is so great. I know, because I figure if we want a compassionate future, let's use the dog as a reference guide, because dogs
1: are usually pretty on the ball. For everything. Yeah. For everything, Health. Everything. You know, they can sniff out, out anything dogs. Sniff out anything dogs. The know. good, the bad, the ugly. I know, I know. I wonder if they got, why don't you have your dog with you when you're doing these?
0: Oh, because then she'd have to come in on the train. Right, and I would let me, you fair know enough. I'd have to pretend that she was a guide mm-hmm. dog. and Yes. That could get complicated, because yes, she's not a Labrador. dog. She's a golden retriever. Oh, too easy then. It could be. I <laughs> could shave her and then get the harness on. <laughs> I need to say, though, it would start to get very, very complicated. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it would we get weird. So, listen, before we start, tell us a little bit about your background. What I was really interested to know was, you know, was there something in your background that kind of drove a passion to work with young people?
1: Um, I, you know, only in, ret- only in retrospect, of course, do you know anything about yourself Yes. because when you're in it, you're in it mm. and living it and doing it. But I, and so in the last few years, mostly because I've been asked so many times, I've had cause to reflect mm. on my kind of 30 year now journey from a young person to an older person. And there are a couple of really strong themes that emerged. And so it's been kind of interesting to think about and reflect on those over the last few years only. One was I had a very, very strong sort of social justice kind of family. So my parents helped set up lifeline in australia my god and in those days when lifeline was set up the first telephone counselors which were my parents were amongst them you took the emergency call you put the phone down, you drove to where the crisis was mm. and you physically helped people. Wow. Including taking them to your home. So I, at the age of six and seven, was in the back of our car car watching my father talk people down from oh. jumping off the story bridge in Brisbane. I would watch my parents go into a home where there was a domestic dispute in Florida full rage oh the goodness. police standing on outside saying this is a family matter and nothing to do with us yeah. and my parents coming out with a mother and three children all on their arms who would come and stay at our place wow. because there were no refuges no so this was i lived large people's life experience wow formidable for really? as a really young child like just very very and any i could wake up at any given morning and i wouldn't know whether i was in my bed or somebody else was in my bed or there'd be wow. a family on our on our lounge room floor and i think that really shaped my a couple of things number one this idea that you know things happen to people to all of us in all our lives um, and actually, it was the informal system of support that really enabled people to get up and go get going again. You know, sometimes women would leave their children with us for several months while they went and got themselves sorted, got new jobs or new homes, then come back and collect the children and kind of just keep going with their lives. So I had this strong sense that A, you know, you could never tell what was going to happen to you. You Mm. know, there was no sort of hierarchy about this. But secondly, with the right support and non-judgmental support, people could get back on their feet. Mm. And so it didn't have to become a life sentence, what happened to you. And that Mm. was really, really embedded in my kind of consciousness really early. The second thing was that I was just... And there's nobody in my family like it, but I was just a crazy entrepreneur from a really young age. Like I was that stupid, you know, eight-year-old who set up a lemonade stand at the end of my driveway, which is fine. Everyone does that. Mm. It's just that my driveway was 45 minutes out of Brisbane on a road that two cars (laughs) went past a week I love Literally. the optimism jam. Exactly. And well, so I I'd just sell bloody lemonade to my dad as he came home from work every day, day after day. I'm like, here's another lemonade. Let on confidence, high on optimism there. High optimism, <laughs> high confidence, like <heart>, just <laughs> stupid. So I I just went on and I just kept making up stuff. So, I, you know, by the time I was 10, I had, because um, I grew up in Brisbane, as you can tell from a few references, mm. and we grew up out, you know, we were a bit outside of the city and My dad actually worked at the university and so he found out that the veterinary school needed toads, and Queensland is covered in oh, toads. It's a disaster. It's isn't a it? disaster zone for toads. So I set up Toads Inc. with my three younger brothers, and we would catch toads and sell them to the university. It's oh disgusting. My God, like probably it's so entrepreneurial. it probably rules against it It was so entrepreneurial, and of course, I was the CEO, loved. so I didn't have to actually catch a toad. I just had to instruct my brothers oh, to I catch. Oh, I love the coordination <laughs> so already. I learned really early about being a boss, you know, bossing around men. <laughs> my <laughs> three younger brothers got to love um, that and I just kept doing that so by the time I got to school and I was a very 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 universally serial failure at school like absolute ridiculous like I basically I didn't show up and when I did show up it was kind of chaotic and one year though I started doing some things at a school that I just kind of kind of just said just don't create havoc but do what you want was basically the contract. And so I did. So I was desperate to get to school this week. And so in year 12, I bought this all off, the priorities, priorities. That was my priority just to get out of school and get social, to school social, this week. Social. That was the whole year 12. And so I bought a car with my friends, I broke a broken down car. I went to a girls' Catholic school. Took it up and put it under the only place to put it was unfortunately under the presbytery where the priest lived, right. like right under his window. And there was one male teacher in the school, which was my other strategy because I wanted to hang out with the one male teacher in the school. So I said, as you would do at an all girls, yes, exactly when you're sixteen, football, right? And yeah. nuns, yeah, nuns. Oh. oh, so I said to the male teacher, um, instead of doing sport this term, we are going to do motor mechanics. And you're going to teach us how to fix up this car so that we can drive it to school this week. I had the whole long. It was a long view. Oh my god! Had it all sorted out. We spent strategy? two terms sitting in the back of that car smoking under the presbytery window, <laughs> <laughs> and then right near the end, when we were getting close to school this week, we realised that the freaking we had done nothing on the car and, we, you know, we've not been doing sport for two terms because we were meant to be doing motor mechanics. Yeah. <laughs> and me being the kind of entrepreneur that I was, rang the newspaper and said, listen, my school is doing the only motor mechanics course for girls in the whole of Australia. It's the first school, the first Catholic school. And they said, that sounds great. Fabulous. You know, we should do a story on you. So the next, literally the next day or the next week, newspaper was out. We hit the front page of every Sunday paper in the country. Oh, my God. With this door. Of course, we hadn't touched. Did they touched, notice that you hadn't touched no, the car? No, because we borrowed from our dad's overalls. We put grease all over our faces and we smiled leaning into the engine with the <laughs> screwdrivers looking like we knew it. We were, we were like these page three girls. Oh, my God. I love how they don't drill down. No, they didn't. No drilling they down did on didn't. the front page. They didn't at all. And so then our dads helped us fix the car and we got to school this week. Oh, the teacher, the male teacher, so it, turned was okay. it turned out okay, and then we sold the car for a profit. So I was happy being the entrepreneur that I was. So that was yeah. a big theme, and then the other theme. So there was kind of that social justice sort of thing going on in my family. The kind of crazy, just relentless entrepreneurialism. Wherever I could, I was doing something. Yeah,
0: and but clearly also. Not that interested in education, which is ironic, given you're very immersed in the education system really now. not interested in education.
1: Yeah. like well, It's
0: incredible.
1: I have a view that education failed me. I didn't fail education. I'm which sure. Which is the subject I'm of, sure. a, of, a, of a bigger podcast, yeah. Yeah. Bigger, bigger story. Well, and hopefully we'll touch on it here. Yeah. And then the last thing, there were three themes. was um, I was just very fortunate that I, um, some teachers saw, said, yes, you're, you know, completely useless at compliance and doing what you're meant to do, but actually we've seen the way that you lead people. Mm. And from a really young age, like 10, I was leading things. Mm. Even if they were things that I wasn't meant to be leading, I was leading. And so I got picked up in this leadership kind of theme about, and that went on all through high school and out the other side I was involved in. Um, the original kind of, I helped craft the first youth policy in Australia as a young 20-year-old. Right. This place, FYA, that I now run, wow. at 22 I was one of three people who presented the plan to set this up. Wow, that's And so fantastic. I was kind of the ad, one of the advocates to get FYA set up as oh, a founder, yeah. Yeah, in a way. But, I mean, I, we, we then got it set up in a off it went but so I was in this incredible leadership position very young and and I really learned from incredible mentors who were just a bit ahead of me kind of about leadership and I got into the national policy and advocacy space kind of really quickly and kind of out of Brisbane came to Melbourne where you know all the action was and um, what do you think the qualities were that you had that kind
0: of started off that domino effect of of these leadership roles
1: I don't know. As I said, it was a huge surprise when this one, and it was one teacher or one observer who said to my parents, who who were kind of already tearing their hair out by the time I was in year eight, so it was very early, Mm. who basically said to them, listen, she may not be following the traditional path, but I can tell you that she can lead people, like even if she's leading them the wrong way. The wrong way you know she is she can galvanize people and get people to do things so would you I say you were headstrong i was um no i was just interested in other ways of doing things okay. i was very interested in challenging kind of the status quo obviously yeah and i was very interested in new ways of doing things but i was always a you know there's entrepreneurs that are very very individual I'm an entrepreneur, it's kind of very team. So everywhere that I've been, whatever I was doing, even when I was, you know, setting something up with my brothers. Yeah. You know, it was always the group collaborating. Thing. It was always collaboration. And partly it was I realised that I didn't have all the skills to do things mm. and all all the time, to do every piece of the of the project or the puzzle, whatever it was. Yeah. And more I just liked working with other people and bringing other people together. So, and getting incredible outcomes. Yeah, so I was more on that kind of entrepreneurial. And by the way, that word wasn't even ever I know, mentioned. Because it's not even a quality, it wasn't really, even called that. It exactly. wasn't even called that. I was called, if anything, I was called like a maverick rat bag. Yeah, actually. <laughs> Leader.
0: It's just anything
1: that was more than So if there's any young people out there being
0: called mavericks or ratbags, there is hope stay for them. them. Stay, stay with them. Yeah,
1: because it's a creative quality, it's, isn't it? It's it, I was super creative. Yeah. I always, always, always coming up with ideas. I mean, when I was 19, I joined forces with another friend and we – literally I was doing drug and alcohol education work and it Mm. was sort of traditional and boring and so this friend and I basically found this inner city part of Brisbane that it was full of a lot of different families who all had kind of challenges around it. was like that old inner city before they became gentrified, those areas. And it was at the kind of peak oil period and so all the service servos were shut down but they were all barred up with great big high gates and fences. So there was a shell service station in the middle of this sort of place-based area that we were working in Mm. and we just broke into it and turned it into this massive drop-in neighbourhood centre then wrote to Shell and asked for forgiveness afterwards. Yeah, I love that. But by then we turned it into this. Don't incredible, ask for permission. Yeah, don't Just ask, permission, ask for permission. Just beg for permission. Be <laughs> so we wrote yeah. and then they said, oh, that's a really good idea. Would you like some other ones? Yeah. You know, because we had turned this thing into this place, like this this home this for all these place. local young people. And yeah, and a community, but, I guess. But we had basically broken into it and it was completely illegal what we had done. Mm. But it was all about saying here's an unused community asset, you know, we've got a need for it and let's just be a bit maverick. And, and so, you know, I was much more used to that. I call it guerrilla entrepreneurism. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of that. But I did not hear the word social entrepreneur until way later. I mean, I had gone from doing that drug and alcohol education work. I then went and I was working in um, home and community care, so in out-of-home care with young people. Yeah. working for Save the Children at the time and I saw through the work that um, big organisations were doing, which was, you know, fine work, that young people themselves that were in care mm. just had no say about what happened to them. Yeah. And they were going to 18 schools across 18 years of being in care and more and they mm. were separated from their siblings and never saw them when they were removed from their families and it was just devastation. I mean, and it's so disturbing to be watching it. And me. traumatic and, and I just said there has to be a difference way Mm. um when i went to this one sort of home that was all these young women were were living there they'd all been removed from their families because of abuse by their fathers so the Mm. fathers are still in the family they've been removed Mm. and i went to this house and everything was locked up the fridge had a big padlock on it and the front door had a big padlock and i'm like are these girls in prison for something that happened to them so we actually said, we heard about this idea from the UK, which was almost, as I said, the consumer group yeah. for them, for yeah. young people in care, and we set it up in Australia. So I started gathering all these young people who were in state care and foster care, mm. and, um, and we set up this kind of movement, really, which was an early consumer Led movement really. So kind of an intervention movement, but did you provide well, accommodation
0: for them? How did no, it, work? it was
1: more a movement for advocacy and change. Yeah. So we brought those young people into the centre of policy yeah. discussions about what would happen for them. Yeah. We brought them into the centre of co-designing what the new care out-of-home care system should look like, Mm. they created their own Bill of Rights because they actually needed rights in care they literally had no rights. So it was more a kind of a very strong movement building activity and sort of started out of my garage at home with, you know, just these young people and then it just built and built and built and built and something at the same time sort of started in New South Wales and we all joined up. So that was that kind of movement building but pre internet, so yeah. no social, you know, we yeah. used to send out 15,000 letters to kids like every month. In fact, my children were like child labour where they had to stop to come home to, home to school. school. <laughs> no afternoon tea until you've stuffed a thousand oh, envelopes, Oh, wow. Um, but, you know, that was incredibly, and our lives were, and my children's lives were enriched by having all these young people in care that would come and stay yeah. with us or work at our place and they were part of watching this movement build of thousands of young people in care across Australia who started to get a voice and started to get a place in redesigning the system. And actually interesting, so CREATES now over 20 years old and still as powerfully important as it ever was, Mm. there's more young people in care, in state care and foster care than ever. It's, it's alarming, isn't it? It's a massive, like huge, huge, huge number and result mm. of family breakdown and things. So yeah. Yeah, that was, um, you know, that kind of movement building was a really fantastic experience to, you know, work with people with lived experience yeah. to build and create something that actually, you know, is what, is what is going to help them and support them in their lives. And I think that was you know, that kind of led me then into working at Social Ventures Australia, and which mm. was more about working for people, for people like me. And that was when somebody rang me up and said, do you know, you know, we're we're naming social entrepreneurs in Australia and you're one of them. And I said, what's a social entrepreneur? entrepreneur. And they said, well, it's a term being used in the UK yes. <laughs> to talk about entrepreneurs who have got a social innovation yes. angle. Social. And I worked, okay, to. that sounds okay. Strange. I've never heard it. Um, yeah. But in a way I was very happy because I felt like I'd finally found my people. Oh, actually, so A, there's more than me. Yeah. And there's a whole lot of people that are doing this. This is fantastic. And I genuinely didn't know and I'd never felt like I fitted into traditional institutional organisations. Yeah, yeah. Also movement building was new and early. You know, there was no play. Yeah, so social entrepreneur brought it all together. Yeah, because, I mean, back in the day I guess it was like you were either
0: touchy-feely or you were a business person. Yes, yes. Or you worked for government. Yes. And exactly, so in exactly. a way it kind of harnesses a Employee. completely different mindset
1: Yes, and it brings things from all of those sectors, and of course, yes. our social entrepreneurism is being challenged a little bit, and rightly so, because it, in the last decade or so, kind of all these heropreneurs, kind of as they're called, have come up that are, wanted to save the world, and they're all kind of, you know, yeah. on their white horses, and so, social entrepreneurship is rightly being. Challenge, um, challenged, which is fine. There's a few
0: thought leaders out there that you do wonder about. It's is it just me? No, it's not just me. No, is there it? are. And
1: also, I do struggle
0: with it, Jan.
1: I know. <laughs> I know. And Also, yeah. I think um, you know if you haven't had the lived experience, then you need to be very, very careful how you're setting yourself up in the as part of the solution. It's not that you can't be part of the solution. Yeah, but you know, in the Children, you know, young people, children, young people care is a great example for me. Well, number one, I had a lived experience because mm-hmm. I was an adopted child. Okay. If I hadn't been adopted into a family, I would have been in the care system because there were only two options. Wow. I was fortunate to be adopted into a family. But to an I was, amazing family. But I was very aware that that mm. was a lottery. Yes, It was literally a lottery. Mm. I mean, I was lounging around in hospital for many months before I was adopted wow. and as were all the other kids who ended up in care or were adopted. So mm. I was very, very cognizant of the fact that I'd come from that background and that i had had a different lived experience but mm. this was all in the same, you know, the same thing. And even if you are adopted and you have a great experience, it doesn't mean that you aren't also uh, completely... Um, you know, plagued by questions your whole life as I was about where do I come from, why was I given up? You know, it's the same, they're not dissimilar questions to mm. young people who are in care. Mm. Young people in care may have had a lot more trauma if there's been abuse and so on. But you know, so I I really do understand this challenge to entrepreneurs who are sitting in a business school somewhere, mm. <laughs> coming up with a bright idea for a problem that they have no connection with or haven't had a lived experience or even might not even know anybody with a lived experience. Yeah. It's just that they've had a bright idea. A dose of humility wouldn't be bad well, for and them. just And just appreciation and engagement in the problem before you create solutions. Yes. And in all the work that I've ever done, it's absolutely being led by and co-created with the people for whom and it was meant. Exactly. And that's, I think, Human centered. That's the clue. Exactly. That's yeah. the clue. And so I'm not down on social entrepreneurship. I just think it's one Well mechanism. it's being challenged right now. It's being challenged a bit right now because of this heropreneurship. Yeah. But it's one mechanism for change and it's it's you know, it's 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 fine. I certainly wouldn't tell anybody not to. I would just say make sure your foundations are really, really strong in it. Mm. Um, so I I was
0: thinking then so you were at social ventures then you came to then I came to FIO so social
1: ventures was really set up to help people like I had been Mm. and if I I genuinely believe if I would had social ventures when I was starting out I would have got a lot more done a lot quicker because they did bring this kind of disciplined thinking and because I hadn't had an education mm. really at all, because I was this sort of universally failed.
0: Experiential educator, education. A lot of
1: experiential yeah. experience education, but I hadn't had all the frameworks and all the disciplines. Actually, yeah. what the people from business and legal and other people who came to and were part of social ventures was, they gave That scaffolding works and all the scaffolding. And it was, and I thought, wow, if I had this, I would have gone a lot harder, a lot faster and a lot further in the same time, you know, just a lot more done. So I was a huge, um, and as one of the kind of founding team there, it was incredible to be able to support people like I had been kind Mm. of at the early stages Mm. to help them grow and think about growth and scale really, really. And then also to bring... You know, SVA really opened up the doors to um, a couple of new models. You know, social finance, mm-hmm. um, social enterprise got re-kind of invigorated yeah. with Social Ventures Australia, and also like hundreds of millions of dollars that had never been put into the social sector through venture philanthropy, mm. because people now had a way to understand it. We educated a lot of people in corporate and other parts oh, of the and government too, and it's had an impact, impact on policy. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You know,
0: on incentivising, putting the incentives exactly. into policy. And
1: outcome-based focus. And yeah. That. So that was great. And then I, while I was there and I'd come to Melbourne from Sydney to set up um, to help with SVA here, got tapped on the shoulder for FYA, which yeah. was just the best, most incredible opportunity because it kind of brought my heartland, which has always, always, always been young people. Yes. But with this social entire kind of I call you know, I always say I also got my MBA at SBA informally. So I had all the new tools and all the sort of new thinking and I'd been able to utilise it, learn it, grow it, and I could bring those two things together at Fya. Mm. And so seven years later. It's starting to grow a here. baby into a teenager. And now it's, yeah,
0: well, it's going, out, going now it's game busters. Yeah. yeah. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing at Fya. i said there's some amazing people that have been doing some work here yeah. And, you know, there must be a few standouts for you too. I mean, are there any
1: that have particularly touched you in your time yeah. Oh, so many, and I would be in so much trouble if I actually <laughs> named them. I know, yeah, but I thought she oh, was, no, there no, are so no. many. Yeah, well, we've got 300 yeah, young social entrepreneurs and innovators, and the last seven or eight years we've grown this, you know, I call them a stable, which sounds a bit weird. Like this sound like horses, which they're not. They're brilliant jockeys. Yeah. <laughs> um, they, so we've grown through running Young Social Pioneers, which is basically an early-stage incubator, Growing 300 young social entrepreneurs and innovators in Australia. Many of them who have, as you say, have gone on to be um, really significant change makers, but also yeah. influencers in their field. So people like Lucinda Hartley, yeah, who started right. here with co design, the kind of placemaking. Urban design shop. Mm. Um, I think she's know, working in the smart cities space too, now, now, she's now in which smart is smart cities yeah. and resilient cities. And, yeah. and but she's also on the global board of Habitat. Yeah. You know, these are just people who've had incredible trajectories. Um, Chris Rang, you know, who started here with this little idea about you know how to address binge drinking. Yeah, that was brilliant. What is it? Hello Sunday, Sunday morning. morning. Yeah. And now that's a at scale um, project. Um, and just on and on and on it goes. I mean, there's the of like, them. Jordan O'Reilly, who set up Higher Up, which is a completely different, I mean, one of the great innovations of the NDIS, which puts people with disability yes. being able to choose who their carers are because now they have the the means to, now there's a platform where they can find them. Mm. And on it goes. So very significant new innovations. And change makers. They are real yeah, changers. change changers. Very much so. And real influencers and And thought leaders. So we have 300 of those and our job really is to help seed them and now we're building out the ecosystem that sits around them. So... You know, how do you, how do we ensure they all get more support and development, more finance opportunities? Um, and also we then set up in the last two years, um, our own social enterprise called Y Lab, which like the Youth Futures Lab. And really what we're trying to do is think about systemic change there. So although you've got individual entrepreneurs doing great things, um, they're doing it in uh, clusters or domains. So you know we've got we probably have twenty five who are working in the environment, everything from water security through to sort of public education, conservation, um climate change, mm-hmm. and so, so and free futures, all of that. So yeah. you know we've got a lot working in health. So yeah. what why lab has the opportunity to do is actually, think about, well, what are those core themes and how do we move towards systemic change, not just solutions to problems, but what's the systems change that needs to happen Mm. and how can young people be involved in designing that? Mm. And so it harks back a little bit to me to my Create days because Mm. it was, it is about how do you have an impact, ensure that young people got the skills, the tools and the opportunities to actually Build change into the system, just outside the system, where which is where entrepreneurs sit. while Labs actually encouraging people to be entrepreneurs as much as anything. And how do you join those two together? How do you bring the entrepreneurs, whether it's in local government or mm. in state government or in corporates or in not big not for profits, bring those entrepreneurs together with these entrepreneurs to actually create systemic change in mm. a particular area, and that's incredible work and that work's going gamebusters mm. like two years in.
0: And what yes, are some of the, the changes, changes
1: that you feel are really urgent right now, in particularly in the Australian landscape?
0: landscape. We could talk globally, mm. but I think it's easier to, to keep it specific to Australia. Yeah,
1: I think, well, I think as you know really, really well, it is there's a whole story about things like the future of democracy. Those are the big... The big themes, I think, and they are—they do tend to be global themes, which is probably good, by the mm. way, because we can learn together yeah. across jurisdictions now and try to...
0: Collaborative
1: efforts yeah, seem to be to, stronger to than that. Try to kind of get above this nationalism that's, that's sort of emerging at the same time mm. as these opportunities for collaboration, which is strange. Always with the old and the new, there's a transition, right? Mm. So... Um, New democracy is absolutely categorically a um, front and centre because if we don't understand how we're going to have people represented and relating to us and how we're going to develop policy and how we're going to... It's the trickle-up, I call it, Mm. as opposed to the trickle-down. We need to think differently and we've got a generation of young people, particularly in this country, completely disengaged. I mean, the fact that 66,000 young people signed up to the role who should have already been on the electoral roll... The yes vote. The, the yes vote tells you everything. everything about what they care about. And certainly for well, me, how disengaged they, they had been. and But also what they care about, right? Yeah. Which is fairness. Yeah, justice and equality and diversity. And diversity and celebrating that. So that's, you know, so that I think is a big theme. I think the other big theme, and we see this, you know, we've got a platform with 150,000 young Australians. Mm -hmm. It's the largest platform of young people interested in kind of change and social change um, across social media platforms that we run. And fairness, equality is their number one issue. Their number two issue is the planet. Yes. Like no point talking about everything if we're not going to have anywhere to live. Yeah, absolutely. And so sustainability and the survival a strategic priority. Very, very front and centre. Yeah. Um, And then the third one is about my future and how I'm going to work and am I going to have a job, you know. So those three are interesting to me because the first one is about other, quality fairness. The second one is about us, like the planet, and the last one's about, okay, what am I going to be doing? And it seems to me that that order is quite profound and incredibly wonderful. Yeah. You know, it's about other, it's about all of us, and then it's about me. It mm. um,
0: almost sounds like community. it's we first. Yes. And then it's me second. Yeah,
1: exactly. So community very, first. Yeah, and I think that's very, very powerful. So I think there's big issues and I think that we see young people wanting to impact all of those in Mm. in varying, varying ways. I think the systemic change is hard one, though, and it's, as we know, social change and then systemic kind of change that comes from people building movements of change that then affects policy and then affects kind of how systems work Mm -hmm. um, is a very, very, very complex and difficult thing to do. And it's been done before, so we should not think that it can't be done because it has been done in many other movements and times and periods of the world's history. So, um, But I think those the three challenges of our time around, you know, those three around equality and this very survival and sustainability of the planet and what our future, what the future of how we will work and live and thrive together, those three themes, and kind of we're working on all those things at FYA.
0: How are you what what's your kind of viewpoint then on where you see the education system in Australia and, and what some of the challenges are at the moment? We all could talk about how bad it is. My kids themselves say, God mum, no, it's so mm. irrelevant. And at the same time I say, Listen, you're learning other skills there that you will yes. use in life. Yes. So you know what is it that can kind of what message can you send to people out there who have got their kids at school, who are asking these questions, who do know there needs to be a systemic shift in in
1: both education and how we're running our economy. Yes, that's right. Well, and I think a lot of people are wising up, right? So I have a, and this isn't the third area of our work, I suppose, is we've got y Lab where we're trying to, you know, do co-design about new systems and yeah. we've got all our young entrepreneurs with new ideas for change. And then we've got a third whole area which is about, How do you equip and inspire young people for the future of work, particularly? But also, as I said, you know, work thrive, work and thrive. So we've done three years of research now and produced five reports Mm -hmm. on young people in the future of work, work. and it's called the New Work Order. And there's five reports in it, and basically that those reports tell the arc of a story. Which has got three parts. Number one is that we are in the fourth industrial revolution. Mm-hmm. It has arrived and it is being driven by the kind of big forces of automation, globalization, and the kind of new flexible economy where people are working across different things. That um, those forces are impacting young people and mm-hmm. that young people are also not being prepared for that. So there's a two, there's a double header there. A, it's impacting them. That's why we've got 650,000 on and under know it's about thirty percent or it's something. Thirty-one point five percent higher than two thousand and seven. Way, 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 way higher. So these are people who've got qualifications. These yeah. are people who spent time and money who at have university, a university who've got a debt, carrying a debt, yeah, and can't taking them four point seven years to get a job for which they were trained. Which yeah. leads to the kind of mismatch between what we're being taught and what we're studying to actually what the and opportunities are and yeah. where the relevance is. So those three forces are at are a writ large in our lives. The second theme was really about, okay, if that is the case, then what do we need to be doing differently and what are the new skills and capabilities and dispositions that will set people up for success? And so we wrote an entire report around, um, after we had looked at some big data, 4.6 million job advertisements in Australia. We studied them and we found that employers were looking for actually Would be no no news to you, but actually, all the things that we used to call soft skills collaboration, teamwork, critical thinking and problem solving, innovation and creativity, presentation and communication skills. So, those acting classes are always worth it? Yes. (laughs) But so too is science if you can work out that it's not that you need to get locked and loaded on coding because in a minute coding's going to code itself Absolutely. but it's more about what do you learn through doing that. If you have that kind of bent then critical thinking and problem solving is what is going on there, mm. not coding. So it was to get underneath what we're doing to try and understand what are these skills and capabilities. And by the way, the top two were digital skills, and so we, we do need to understand that STEM, we are in a digital economy. Being, we are in a digital economy. Seven out of ten jobs will have a digital component. There's yeah. no doubt, yeah. no matter which industry or the job area. And then the second one, which was the outlier, was what we was called by, was bilingual skills, mm-hmm. which is a proxy for kind of cultural intelligence. So we're in the fastest-growing region on the planet, Three hours north of Darwin is we're in Asia, and there's 750 million 16 to 25 year olds there who are now all increasingly educated, looking for opportunity, hungry, as they should be. Mm. I mean, there's been a lot of investment from these countries in education and learning. That's right. We've got trilingual. We've got 4.3 million young people Mm. here. So this isn't about competition anymore, this is about collaboration. And yet, we've got the lowest ever completion at year 12 of the second language in country um, and yet employers are saying we want bilingual which by the way privileges young people in western sydney western melbourne all those areas where 40 percent are bilingual and come from different yeah. cultures employers are looking for young people with those skills. They're looking for young people who can deal with culturally diverse environments. Exactly,
0: because it's not just about the language. I think that's but not in the mix. It's, it's, being, about, it's huh. about understanding the culture, Yes, being empathic, Yes, understanding yes. what those yes. cues are from yes. another culture that's right. that you learn through learning the language, yes.
1: not just exactly. learning it's a, a, a language road.
0: It's a proxy. It's but right. also
1: if you come from that lived experience, mm then what our research said is that employers are looking for you. That's incredible because yes. until now, young people from those areas have not been privileged in that workplace. And mm. In the future workplace, they're going to be privileged, which is incredibly important information. It's a real pivot to, to them. It's a huge pivot. Um, and then finally our research said, well, that's great. So they're not soft skills anymore. They're hard skills. They're being privileged. Um, and then we started to look at, okay, well, how would that look in jobs? Like if you applied skills and capabilities rather than job titles across industries, mm. what would that look like? And we looked again at, like, the Australian economy and came up with seven clusters of Gosh. where there are jobs. And But it, we looked at them based on their skills and capabilities, not on the job titles. So there's some unlikely alliances, you know, in some of these clusters. And... What was more important, and this speaks absolutely to now in the future, is that we discovered that actually if you got into a cluster that you were interested in, it could be in technology, it could be in caring Mm -hmm. professions, it could be in information. If you were in a cluster, once you got in there, you could get access to up to 13 other jobs if you could get a job in there, and then you would just be retraining and upskilling, not actually starting Again. And almost like the micro-credentialing I was talking to you about. Exactly. And that is why that is the future. The future is all of us in a kind of a learning life, not a life of learning, but in a learning life where your university degree, except if it's highly technical, now everyone agrees has like a two-year shelf life. That means when you get into a job, you are going to be learning Mm. on the job, learning, 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 learning. And the upskilling and re-skilling makes a lot more sense than going back to university and doing another degree yes, or a master's. But you still hear what people well, saying they're, gonna they go, they're going go. to go back and get
0: another degree
1: or an MBA and I go, they are you crazy? Because they think it's going to get them a job. I and know. that's why this information is so liberating and important because it says get your degree or your diploma, get into a cluster that you're interested in mm. and start working your way through that there's up to 13 other jobs right there in front of you that are, have the same skills and capabilities of yeah. the one that you've gone into. Yeah. Very liberating, very important information. And then our last report said, okay, great, so this is these are the forces at work, this is the new skill and capability set, this is how it applies into the job kind of Clusting. market, yeah. clusters. And then finally we said, okay, let's look ahead to 2030. The so mm-hmm. 2030 is when those cherubic, shiny little five-year-olds who started two months ago mm. will graduate. It's literally that short amount of time. Mm. That's it. And so we looked at what we expect everyone will be doing based on a whole lot of trend data. Um, and we discovered that in a given week by, tw- by 2030, so it will grow between now and then, we will spend 30% more time learning on the job. Yes. So that completely transforms the employer, the employee and the educational institution's partnership because if you're a smart educational institution, you will never have an alumni. You will never graduate anybody. You will just have a partner, a learning partner for life. Mm. If I have a good experience at my educational institution, Mm. I will keep going back there because I'm going to have to retrain and upskill or my employer will work with them to create courses that I can be credentialized that show that I'm progressing. Mm. So that 30% more on the job is a completely new idea. That is not what happens now, and that means a new arrangement, a mm. very new arrangement between employers, employees and educational institutions.
0: Do you think that will impact school? like it has school to impact because school. Because, you
1: know, 12 13 years. That's a
0: long time, long time. If They don't need to be there for that long. Or what else are they doing there well, and how's it
1: integrated?
0: Are they given an opportunity perhaps to contribute to
1: society or contribute to the economy while they're learning at school? That's exactly right. So 100%. So, you know, the (coughs) best work that's being done um, is any school that's doing immersive, hands-on learning. Any school and any university, again, worth their salt or tape, will be working with every school in their catchment and basically get this visual of kind of the walls dissolving Mm. because we've had this siloed system for a hundred years. It's not going to serve us into the future at all. And young people are already voting with their feet. But it's also been already status driven
0: Jan, hasn't it? Like you you go to your school You've got your alumni. You go to your colleges, yeah. universities, and it's all been yeah. quite status-driven. And I think that's disappearing as well. Yes. There's a huge yes. mindset mindset shift. Yes. Oh, also, students won't be able to afford it. No, and they shouldn't need you to know, afford it. It's hugely expensive. It's
1: it's the le- it,
0: for me, I look at the education system, perhaps the tertiary education, and think it's the it's the last disrupted bastion of what's happening in our economy because they're still charging excessive fees for four and five-year degrees that are
1: largely not necessarily relevant for when they finish. Yeah, and I think lots of universities now know this. It's just who's going to move first, first, who's going to move first and who's going to think about, again, as I said, a different relationship. And, you know, the last 10 years of university, it's very much been customer, you know, the student is the customer. Mm. And I think as I said, this new idea of what's the future part what's the learning partnership look like. Yeah. Because this person's gonna need to come back to us mm. many times over their lifetime because their jobs are gonna change, they're gonna be transformed or disrupted, and they're gonna wanna keep re skilling and retraining, mm. that's a very different idea. And yeah. so the universities who can think about that and who are agile enough to think about that will be the ones who are successful. But I expect that there will be, like you, I expect that there will be significant disruption. And, I, you know, I genuinely think some universities that exist now won't exist I would, uh, yeah. in the next five to ten years. But, and there's a lot of
0: little colleges and agencies that are setting up that I think there will be a much larger, mm-hmm. you know, foray of those mm-hmm. out there mm-hmm. as well, providing the one that I'm, specialist
1: learning. Yes, absolutely. Learning. Yeah, the one that I really want to privilege and reimagine because I actually believe that... The place where Australians traditionally go to upskill or retrain is actually TAFE And that's the that's the organisation that is really, really fantastic. It's locally based, it's it's distributed, it uses local talent to teach people, it uses people who are doing real things in the world and it's there is such an opportunity to reimagine Tophes. TAFE as that place yeah. where you go and get your, you go and upskill, and that's built into your employment kind of package. And so the TAFE's not there yet either, but it's, you know, there's... Well, I had to. Huge kicking, and it had, a, and it had massive challenge because of the whole RTO sector, and yeah, that's which right. obviously now everyone knows was a was was a flawed it was a strategy, <laughs> strategy or a flawed strategy, <laughs> a very flawed strategy or <laughs> and so there is um, really significant opportunity, I think, for you know further education to, to. Now the question also, as you always know, is do people just wait for their kind of Kodak moment? Or do they step into? Do they see what's coming, and mm. do they transform themselves? Mm. And so this is where we're at with all of education. I think mm. education uh, intellectually knows that it must transform; that it knows that it's not meeting the needs of enough of students in enough contexts in enough different ways. And um, students know that. And students know, and so there's now a strong feedback loop by. Either disengagement or high anxiety, high anxiety, but also just you know, employers themselves saying this is not what we wanted. Yeah, so across a whole lot of metrics, it's very clear. So then the next challenge is well, what will it take and who will take the leadership and how will it be incentivized or disincentivized? You know, there's a whole lot of questions, and also it's not an Australian problem, this is a global. Mm. how do chance. i mean incentivization is a huge
0: part of something that i'm passionate about which is the blockchain mm. technology and i'm like what are the incentives that you feel could be out there for the education systems to change and for people to feel less anxious i was watching a startup late last year that was mm. being paid to learn you know you go to university in South America, and they were being paid to learn.
1: Yeah, that's amazing.
0: Yeah, instead of creating accruing a huge debt, I thought, wow, that's an interesting way of looking at it. And who knows whether it's going to be successful or not? But it was, the, it was like this wild idea that no one would have ever considered, yeah. but in fact made sense because it's like, well, yeah, they're learning; they will be a future contributor. Why can't we pay them for that?
1: Yeah, that's great. Well, that's almost sort of what a free education used to be like here, right? Yeah. In essence. Well, know, then everyone talks, talks about, about education
0: change. as a priority, healthcare as yeah. a priority, mm-hmm. and yet at the same time the, the fees for education are going up.
1: They're higher and
0: higher. You think it doesn't make and, any sense. Everyone like, needs to also be the, debt,
1: the debt doesn't make sense. I mean, Singapore obviously did a different version of the South American one, but I like, I like the idea of a country saying, and in Singapore's case, You know, they said we have no natural assets. Our assets are our people and so we're going to invest heavily in in education and the smarts of our people. And they did for 50 years. It paid off, obviously, massively. So I like that kind of thinking. I like the kind of I would rather it was a conscious strategic uh, decision than a kind of massive disruptive kind of let's throw it the Absolutely. Because I think... It has to be sustainable. It has to be sustainable, but also then it's actually genuinely nation-building, whereas other things where it's just kind of you throwing in a kind of entrepreneurial disruption Mm. sometimes only uh, are available to some people. Mm. They don't actually become available to everyone. Whereas Mm. if your country says, listen, we actually have decided that for the next 25 years... These are the priorities Mm. of Australia. We're going to invest heavily in them. We're going to tell everybody what we're investing in, how and why, and this is how it will be implemented and we're going to talk about that and Mm. we're going to make it right. And that to me is very, very strategic and it's the sort of leadership that people would buy into.
0: And it's very sticky. It's got the stickiness about it, hasn't it, because everyone would be engaged. Exactly. Exactly. And from a policy level to exactly. the grassroots level. exactly,
1: And that's what's, that's what's missing here. So, you know, we rode off the sheep's back, we rode off the mining boom, resources boom, mm. and now we have to probably all the signs point to Australia needing to get the kind of smarts to be kind of we need to ride on our intelligence. Yeah, and And creativity. I I think if there's
0: something that Australia's got on the other side of the world to big, large populations
1: is a bizarre creativity. Yes. And also that willingness to have a go. Yeah. So I think there's some things that if we could almost embed them in the kind of policy framing and thinking, we would be in a really great position. Right now it's a void and a bit of a vacuum. And that's that's a challenge. It needs your leadership, Jan. It needs someone's leadership. So, so I think that, that's On
0: that, who do you look for? You know, from a personal perspective, who do you look for in your own life for kind of inspiration or that you've you've gone to at times when you've needed to make some really tough decisions and, and things haven't been going
1: great? Well, I've always been surrounded by amazing people, which is great. So as I said, I, you know, always built teams really early. So Mm. I've always had um, that kind of team environment where we've all been very, uh, had different skills and capabilities, but been able to work together and also challenge um, each other. So I think I've always sort of tried to build it into whatever I was doing. I've had at different stages of my life, I've just had incredible mentors that tends to be situational rather than across the whole of life and okay. I've always I've used mentors, yeah, situationally. They kind of make sense for what I'm doing at that time. I meet them through what I'm doing but they're just people who bring kind of new insights or wisdom and I think that's always been incredible. I was reflecting last year I wrote something for International Women's Day. I just wrote a blog and I was thinking about all the women mm-hmm. in my life that i Never really, again, thought of the arc of those people. But, you know, people like Anita Roddick, who set up the body shop, who yeah. I met when I was really young. she's wow. a tour in Australia. That would have been inspiring. She was literally my most significant influence around joining up enterprise and social justice and business. But mm. to me, she actually epitomised it. I'd never seen... The generation after, well, the millennials, kind of Richard Branson's their person, but I, to, in and my mind, was incredible. He was a pure kind of entrepreneur who then kind of went into impact, thinking about social impact. yes yeah. she came there started from started social. There. Yeah, she started there, so she was probably and talking to her, meeting her and talking to her was probably the single most. In, Significant influence around what shaped me to do the things that I've done since mm. then, because I saw it all come together, and I yeah. thought actually I can be, I can be interested in business and think that that's an important frame. I can have social justice, and I can be entrepreneurial. Well, a great channel. A great channel so to be an entrepreneur in. and have social impact. Yes, exactly. You know. So that was really, but, you know, I had business kind of nounce around Then I just thought about all the women, you know, even the women that when I was at school and, you know, I had all these Catholic nuns who, who didn't know what to do with me but actually saw enough to say just go and do what yeah. you wanted, you know, go be your entrepreneurial crazy self in our school. It's okay. We won't kick you out. Yeah, kind of thing, which I'd been kicked out of other schools for doing the same thing. Oh, so you know how many just...
0: schools have you been kicked out of, Jen? I
1: was kicked out. Of, well, I was asked to leave.
0: Um, <laughs> <laughs> at least two schools. I couldn't let that one go past. I'm oh, sorry. No, I don't... I'm sorry. Just... I know. go back a bit. Reverse. It's it's fantastic. at least two schools you were asked to leave. I was asked to leave. Oh, because I love I was that. Kicked out
1: of one, and I was asked to leave the other one. And then I went to this school, which I was literally going to be asked to leave. But as I said, then they just thought.
0: Let's I think, harness I think this girl's energy. They sort
1: of did and I started running, you know, I wrote the school newsletter and I got us into the state debating team. I did every, I did all the extracurriculars it ticks very well. the boxes. Yeah, I did all the extracurriculars, <laughs> I just didn't show up to class. But I did the extracurriculars, you know, I got the school on the map, you know, front page of the newspaper, it's not bad. Yeah, I mean, so, yeah, and first, on that, the first girls' motor mechanics I know. in Australia. I mean, By the way, they did go on to set up a motor mechanics course after that, which is
0: great, so they <laughs> did it properly. So you've had a lot of successes in your life, actually. So I'm it's wondering, hard, really. have there been times where things haven't been going that great and what was maybe one of those
1: times and, and what did you learn from it? Um, well, I think you have successes and failures inside the things that you do. Mm. So um, because I tend to, again, I'm sort of unusual in that I tend to, I I kind of have these chapters. So, I, you know, I was at Social Adventures for eight and a half years. Mm. I was at Create for eight and a half, nine years. I've been here for seven years and I'll probably be here another year or so. So, you know, I have these kind of chapters. And so in that chapter there's a lot goes on. Yeah. You know, you start something. You start other things that succeed and fail. You try different things. So on that kind of, I always see it as sort of a paddock that you're yeah. playing on, and there's lots of success and failure in that. I think I there was one particular. Um, I left Create, and before I went to SBA, I got asked to do something else, and it was kind of a very shiny new idea, and I was very captured by, oh, this is a great shiny new idea, and I didn't do any due diligence on the people that. I was working with or on the kind of whether the idea was really real. I just mm. got captured by And I, that was an early lesson in kind dun, of doing like Yeah, I just, like, within a few months, I'm like, no, oh, this isn't going to work. So oh, that yeah. was, um, you know, so I do think you do need to trust, like, respect and believe the people that you're working with and that's my going in. Yeah. Trust, like, respect and believe yeah. them. Um, and then you need to have a very, very, I think, a strong connection to the mission and purpose, but also that you can see the change that could be created. Because mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of mission purpose, but actually to see the change, to actually visualise the change, mm-hmm. and know what that looks like is really, really, really hard. It's very empowering when you've got it. Yes, because then you know
0: what you're looking for. That's
1: right. And what looks wrong, what looks right. Wrong, yeah, what looks But it's such a hard call, particularly in early ventures. And, of course, even as I say that, you know, there's a million things that I've started where I had no idea that it would end up where it ended up. Yeah, I know.
0: Which is often a way too. That's how businesses start. You kind of tear up the business plan on day one when you realise, in fact, you
1: didn't know what you were talking about. And 20 20 pivots, you know, later. Yeah. So, um, you know, and, and that's a really good, you know, that's a really good question that you've asked because is it, I'm a huge believer in learning, and I've hashtagged that word here, like failing or learning. simultaneously yeah. learning or fucking up while simultaneously learning. Yeah. So these two things to me are learning, two sides learning, two sides of the one coin. Um, and we have, in parts of FIA, quite structured, particularly in our kind of consulting work, quite structured kind of unpacking and debriefing of work that we've done to understand deep learning. But also because I I've, I've do... And I'm very fascinated by the arts and I'm into some kind of work in the arts and I'm fascinated by mastery, fascinated by the idea of deep learning and gaining real mastery. And that's quite unusual for entrepreneurs who tend to float across the top re- of a lot of things. Because it's a
0: real reflection in, by the sounds yeah, in
1: what you're yeah, trying you to do now to, to reflect and to, really and to talk about really think deeply about what are we genuinely trying to do? yeah. And what are those skills and capabilities that are really required to do that? And um, and I've found another really
0: important question in that is, yes. and does anyone care? Yeah, Because yes. you have to care about it and people around yes. you have to care about what you're trying yes. to produce yes. because otherwise it's like, oh, what, have we, what do we do all of that for?
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: You yes, know,
1: no, it's true. Yeah, that's it's really the right. ultimate humanness of us all. Yes. Yes, yes, and that comes back to your orig- one of your original statements about, you know, if you have a genuinely human-centred design approach, then you are designing with for, by people. Probably exactly. do pretty well with that. Exactly. I think if you're sitting in a room by yourself just sort of playing on a whiteboard, you're probably on course. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't think there's many people doing that here, like Jen. Not here, but in the world I think there are. But I think, yeah, I think here. And so we're sitting right now, because we're doing audio, you can't see, but we're sitting in FIS hub. So a year and a half ago we set up this hub where, Mm. because all the co-working spaces you have to pay for, so we decided to provide a free co-working space for young entrepreneurs and innovators, Mm. but also to bring them together. Yeah, because when they get together... It's amazing what and all So happen. now all these collaborations are going on and now, you know, which is what happens in the co-working spaces as well, but it's been fantastic. But they're taking up
0: all your desk space, Jen. <laughs> it's great.
1: We love it. We want them to. We want them to. So we've got hundreds, hundreds of members. We've had 78 events last year like people just keep so you know we had this i know
0: trying to get you for this podcast was very hard i need to say quite challenging <laughs> but
1: it was a third invite and it was like okay i'll just try for the third time <laughs> hang on i think that was one h wasn't it i don't know I don't I think know it if... was one me one you I yeah i even. couldn't make it but i think you set even and you now you. You. Okay. <laughs> i'll let you stand if <laughs> i think one. if your dog was here your dog would do be you have a dog for me. My dog sadly died last year after 14 um, years on the planet. A sometimes I never like to ask,
0: Jan, because people do, they get this crushing, there's this crushing oh, look on their face when they talk about the dog that's just passed.
1: I know. It was, it was six months ago now, but it's still very sad. Well, you know, when you've had a dog in your family for your whole yeah, life. Yeah, well, it's like being a part of your family. It is. It's a member of the family. So, And it's very interesting because I said to someone the other day whose dog had died recently, I said, you know, and they had just got another dog, and I said, wow, what was... The time frame, it's a bit like a relationship, you know. Yeah. What's the right time frame to have another relationship? Get a new yeah. yeah. And he said, like, you know, well, everyone says sort of 12 months, and we waited 12 months, and it was fine. And they got the exact same dog again, which I found amazing. It's wow. Super interesting. From the kind same kind of parents. I can't remember what dog it was. It mm. was a uh, lovely, there were two, had two. Maybe they were. Anyway, so that's, I've been thinking about that recently as well and I big it, commitment though yes. i mean i often think about the kids
0: having felt like a commitment and still continue to be a commitment until they perhaps decide to leave school and go off and do their you know thing at college and and whatnot but i thought actually i've got cha-cha for at least another 10 to 15 years exactly, so in fact exactly. so I'm, yeah, I'm and not, I'm, I'm not a big rushing taking to the kennel thing either so right. you know it's like oh god when we go away we kind of feel guilty Mm. It's
1: created. Mm. Yeah, it's
0: it's been more complicated. What's great than is because you're doing
1: these interviews and it's actually named after your dog. In essence, then everyone's responsible for your dog. So you could, you could I could, so you could start, start your billeting dog the
0: yeah, the dog out. You I could. think everyone everyone that's met Cha Cha loves Cha Cha-Cha. Cha.
1: Cha Cha's probably got a thousand homes. So when you're on holiday, she is adorable. You need to just so. But start Alfie, then we've got baby. Alfie, our cat,
0: Alfie, our ragdoll cat. Yeah. yeah, beautiful cat, like a dog. Like a dog. Really?
1: Yeah. But cats can look after themselves mainly, don't they?
0: I don't know. A friend said to me recently that if we ever needed to move overseas or do anything, sometimes when we talk about work, work, we talk about having to perhaps go somewhere else. Yeah. And yeah, she's. Hats in for I want Alfie. So really, yeah, that's good, yeah, very sweet. That's very a sweet. very,
1: that's a great cat because I. I know they
0: did, but they like giving away your kids. It's
1: weird. I, I kind of think they are not I find it I harder know. with the dog. Whenever I've had a cat, all I've thought about is how the cat's sitting, trying to plot to kill us. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Every cat we ever had sat on a high shelf on we top of a to and just stared at us like <laughs> this cat is trying to work out how to kill us. Whereas our dog would be jumping around the house being a dog. And yeah. The cat yeah. would be just death staring us and I would just I've always been anxious around cats. Yeah. Like, well
0: I've never been great for cats killing the native wildlife. That's but another issue. It yeah. is an issue, but Alfie couldn't do any of that. Alfie just has no chance, so right. slow. Right,
1: so right, slow right. just <laughs> stares at them, tries to eye them off the yeah. The death stare, they come to me so I can eat you. But they're, they're yeah. wiser than that. Yeah, they're really good. I was going to say one other thing, which I thought was interesting, because we're talking about students. Yeah, I uh, there are some things that I think are really good insights to what we should be doing in education. Mm. So number one, with uh, there's somebody who started in Brisbane running just this little program, Year Nines. So mm-hmm. you know, Year Nine is like the hell death, year, death stare of yeah, all yeah. the school. Yeah and started running an after-school. This is out-of-school hours program on social entrepreneurship um, for a term. And then at the end of the term, there's a big showcase of these ideas. Within a year, she had a 1,000 year nines after school. Wow. Not even in school, after school. Um, being involved in this social entrepreneurship program and their their challenge was solve local problems that matter to you. Oh, my God, what and a great program. I've been a judge program. on several of these and, um, like, absolutely unbelievable. So working in teams, coming up with ideas, that's one kind of, that's just such an incredible, I think, benchmark of where this next generation is at. And we, is that just happening in Brisbane? It's just happening in Brisbane, but it's going to start kind of rolling around. Okay. Um, but amazing. What's it called? It was this? called Verge, and it's got a new name now. Okay. Um, we at FIA run a program that is in school for okay. years seven, eight, nine, ten, called Twenty Dollar Boss. Okay. And $20, 26,000 students in two and a half years have done Twenty Dollar Boss across Australia,
0: oh, right. which
1: is huge. And what they have to do is they get twenty dollars, like a real twenty dollars. Yeah. Um, and in a, they get a month of preparation. Class, and then in one month they have to set up a business for people planet and purpose yep so it's basically a social business at the end of the month they have to pay the $20 back and have some profit, profit any profit they've made they can put into their business into their school or into their community and they do all of those things oh wow 99% of the students pay back the $20 which is a better return than any bank yeah get, with a dollar interest because it goes into an evergreen bank so it's recycled right yeah two and a half 1,000 businesses being set up by 12, 13, 14, 15-year-olds across Australia. my gosh. A large percentage, over half of them are still being run. So these are young people at school also running their own business and doing other things. So
0: where would we find these businesses? So twenty-dollar plus is
1: is online and we've actually just gone out. In fact, we've got 10,000 students signed up in the first two weeks of being open this year for 2018. So it's going... Game but it or we've embedded it in curriculum so yeah. teachers can teach it and use it. But it is just interesting that students are running at that immersive, hands-on learning. Yeah. Those skills and capabilities I told you about, innovation, creativity—they are Critical all built thinking. into twenty-dollar boss. Yeah, and so you're learning all those things in one term in one activity. Now, there are other things like that, but it's just interesting. It's probably the one at scale in Australia at the moment. It's yeah. the largest number and it's going to keep going because we're going to be wrapping it up. But it just speaks to the things that young people are interested, the way of learning. It's not that they're not going to learn English, math, science, etc., etc., etc. It's just the way that they're going to learn is going to be transformed. And
0: yeah. if ever I've
1: seen a different way of that, it's $20 boss because we're teaching all those subject areas in a completely different way. By and you sometimes, having to set up
0: sometimes, I'm just thinking sometimes you just need the window, just the exactly. window to look through to exactly. see. You know, exactly. it doesn't need to
1: take over the whole schooling yeah, yeah, system. Yeah, it's and just, our survey say 48% of the students have never occurred to them ever that they could run and set something up. And now that they have, they're like, up guns up blazing. It. They're like, I want to do that again. And the idea of $20 Boss is not actually necessarily that you do take your business out and keep running it, but that you learn through the success and failure of all of those. You do mm. something different every year. You mm. might do a digital platform one year. You might do a service provision into the community with a product or service the next year. You might do an online you know, advocacy campaign the next year. You learn a lot of skills. Interestingly, um, a large percentage of the students pooled their money, No. Oh. is also great because it can Smart. be individual, collective, look strategic. Yes, yes. And our winner mean, last—I think it was last year—was a school, Christmas Island High School, set wow. up set up twenty-five businesses in one term. Wow! And that was incredible. Forges Christmas Island, yeah, just that school set up wow. twenty-five businesses inside the school and then took them out. So there is uh, all these ways, so whether it's young people interested in social entrepreneurship to solve local problems or young people kind of setting up these businesses through $20 Boss to, you know, just a myriad of stories mm. about to, you know, our platforms where we know the things that young people are talking about. Mm. Interested in. That they care about. There's a, I've always had a view and relentlessly optimistic, actually, about young people, relentlessly optimistic about mm. future generations. I'm just more interested in what we, the rest of us, are going to do to support, assist, get out of the way, you know, to actually enable them to create the world they want to create because all their thinking and all the nows and all the skills and capabilities, they've got it in space yeah. and the creativity.
0: I just don't think they're given the avenue.
1: That's right. At the moment. That's right. And in that's Australia. why when I say we've got to work out how to support them is why we have to rethink learning, the learning system. Yeah, it's and not the political
0: about... system, because the political system yeah. ties directly into the decisions being made that are affecting all industries, including yeah. education. Yeah. That's right. So, yeah. listen, it's been a complete pleasure. I had so many other questions, but honestly, really? yeah, but we can't go on <laughs> any longer. It's no. been such a pleasure. You are such an incredible resource to oh, young people yeah. in Australia. You're doing a marvellous job. Thank you so much for coming That's on so I mean glad we got to talk about dogs. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Don't wanna be wow. Don't wanna be wow.